Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is Robert Rogers and you've just connected with Parkinson's Recovery. My special guest today is Joe Rosen, who is the president and the founder of the Parkinson's Resource Organization. PRO, or the Parkinson's Resource Organization, is a 501c3 nonprofit charitable organization that provides group and individual support to those making the journey through Parkinson's. Joe, thank you so much for being with us today on the show. This is absolutely my pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. People I know want to know a lot about you and your association with Parkinson's. Can you can you talk a bit uh, about how you became first involved with uh the challenge that is faced by individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. My first involvement with Parkinson's was when my mother was diagnosed with it in 1984. And mother lived in the Midwest in Minnesota, and I lived in California at the time. And I had never heard the word Parkinson's before. And so um, I just actually, because of her age, and mothers are always seen so much older than their children, I just automatically attributed to anything that was going on with her as an old age type um, ailment. And then in 1989, my then fiancé, who became my husband, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And it was really at that time that I decided that I needed, A, to know more about it, and B, to do something with the knowledge that I, that I was going to obtain. And that's where Parkinson's Resource actually came about. Um, in the very beginning days, it was called Children of Parkinsonians because I was a child of, so I start, thought, thought that would be the first thing to start with. But mother um, went through, I would see her once a year, and each time that I saw her, I saw these symptoms that were pretty incredible and advancing pretty rapidly. And she didn't have a tremor, and I read that, you know, people with Parkinson's had a tremor. She was really pretty stiff. Her voice and her speech went pretty fast, and um, still... I'd never heard anything other than the word Parkinson's, and so uh, we went on just believing that she had Parkinson's. And she lasted with from the time she was um, diagnosed to the time she actually left the, the world. Uh, she, was, she had this disease for eight years. Fortunately, by that time, I had learned that one of the ways to determine whether somebody really had Parkinson's or not was to donate their brain tissue to research. And so my siblings and I worked hard at her demise to get her brain tissue donated immediately so that we could find out exactly what mother had. Um, I happened to have nine brothers and sisters, and mother had a lot of grandchildren. So it was really important that we know, and especially if this disease, if we found out down the line that it might be um, a a, um, generational disease, et cetera. So we sent her brain tissue off to research and later on discovered she didn't have Parkinson's. She had a disease called progressive supranuclear palsy. Well, by now, I'm pretty involved in the Parkinson's area, and I'm trying to find everything possible to create quality of life for my husband, Alan. 
And I made my deal with God back in 1990 that if she taught me everything I needed to know about quality of life for Alan, that I would share it with the world. And there again is how Parkinson's Resource Organization came about. I learned so much along the way, and I shared it through monthly newsletters, and we're still sharing it through monthly newsletters. We learned along the way that less was probably better. And so medication-wise, we tried to stay off as much as we possibly could. And when I say we, I'm really talking about Alan. But he listened a lot to me, and we worked very closely together on this. And we worked this arrangement for 18 years with his Parkinsonism. During that period of time, every time a physician would ask him to take a new medication, we would go through looking at what that medication was and what the side effects were. And we would sit there and discuss it. And I'd say, you know, it's you, it's your body, it's up to you. Do you wish to take this or not? Um, if it was me, I probably wouldn't be taking it because the side effects sound worse than the disease. And so most of the time, actually all of the time through this whole process, the only medication that he took was Cinemet or Carbidopa Lividopa. I watched the progression during that 18-year period of time, in the beginning very slowly. Um, one of the things we knew is that if he exercised, he could slow the progression. And so he was not an exercise person, but uh, he, we got him to exercise through hiring a personal trainer, and he did extraordinarily well. He stayed with his golf and, and um, exercised as much as he could and also got a massage. We, uh, in the beginning, we'd, we got a massage once a week until we found out that was too expensive to keep up with, so we got it once, a, once every two weeks. I didn't participate in the massages so much as much as I'd like to. And was that the first so time we he, were extra. Was, pardon? Was, was that the first time he'd gotten a massage in his life? Yes, actually. And the first time that I suggested that he get a massage, he said, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. And I said, well, let's try it this way. I, I will order a massage. And he had his choice of man or woman, and he's decided he'd like to have a woman give him a massage. So I said, if you decide you don't like it, you just get off of the table, and I'll take the rest of the massage. And I said, if you decide you do like it, then you have to book the next appointment. And so he decided he liked it. I mean, he fell asleep and he enjoyed the whole the whole um, process. And when he was through, he said, could you come back next week? <laughs> and that's how we got into the weekly massages. Um, as time went on, we, we had massages or he had massages every other week. And that was good. So he exercised three to four times a week with a personal trainer, and he got massages every other week, and he played his golf. And the other things that we thought were really important was to be able to laugh. So um, he, he loved the movies, so we tried to find funny movies for home movies. And then whenever something came to the theater that he thought he would enjoy, either he went by himself or we went together. And so laughter was a big, important part. And um, eating well, obviously. Nutrition was really important, so we did as much as we could in that area. I think I'm a really good cook, and I like eating and, and preparing nutritional value food. And um, so on, on an overall health uh, regimen, if you will, he did extraordinarily well. As a matter of fact, for the first 15 years of his Parkinson's or Parkinsonism, most people wouldn't have known that he had the disease. And somehow he was able to control his tremor uh, just through mind over matter type um, work. 
And I thought that was really rather amazing. But it was the last three years of his life that became sort of the indignant parts of what Parkinson's can do. And I, having watched my mother go through her progressive supranuclear palsy and what that did at the end of it, I was a little bit prepared to handle the indignities that Parkinson's was doing to Alan. But I will tell you that's that's a tough road to hoe. Alan's now gone since April of 2007. And I still always wondered what it was that I could do to find or create the greatest quality of life ever for him or anybody else. Uh, For 20 years now, Parkinson's has been pretty much my life in that I think of it almost every day. Um, Really working on how I could help someone who has this disease feel better, look better, act better, be productive, be happy, and get through this so-called journey um, as unscathed as possible. I've had a completely different mindset since March of this year as to what Parkinson's is. And we'll get into that in a second because when I say that to you, in the first 19 years when I would do a speaking engagement, I could really rattle off what I thought Parkinson's was, even though I would argue with doctors that some of the symptoms that Alan was experiencing were not Parkinson's, that they were symptoms of some other health issue, that Parkinson's, to my knowledge, was purely a movement disorder. And so blood pressure, for instance, was not a movement disorder as far as I was concerned. The speech problem may have been partially movement disorder, but it was really seemed like there were other things going on that were made, that may not have been movement. The At the end or in those last three years, the indigestion that was going on, I didn't think that that had anything to do with Parkinson's. And yet every time that we would go to a doctor, they would say, well, you know, Joe, that's Parkinson's. They'd say, doc, it's not. I mean, we, we, do, we don't want to argue the point. I'm just going to suggest to you this is something that has to do with health but not Parkinson's. Consequently, um, since Alan has passed and I've still continued doing this work, I guess looking for an answer, Robert. I think that's what I've always been doing. In March of this year, something magnificent came to me, to us, and that's what we'll discuss next, if it's okay with you. Well, it is indeed, and uh, if uh, those of you listening to the show would like to call in and talk with uh, Joe Rosen and ask her questions, please do so. The toll-free number is 877-590-0733. That's toll-free for individuals who live in the United States. If you live in Canada or France or China or Japan or you name it, you can actually connect through the radio show page on Skype and ask your questions in that way. So feel free to, if you're at your computer and would like to talk with her and you have the ability to use a microphone, you can you can connect to us live and ask her your questions through your computer using Skype. So March, something magnificent happened, Joe. What was it? Well, a dentist came to our office and delivered a DVD and some literature, and and my little assistant um, handed it to me and said, 
this gentleman came in, this doctor came in, and he thinks he has something that can really help people with Parkinson's. Actually, it came in in December of last year, about a year ago. And you know, I said, you know, so everybody has something that they think that really helps Parkinson's. I mean, over 20 years, we've gotten a number of things. So I said, you know, when I have time, I'll look at it. And it took until March when, and fortunately, the doctor continued to um, persist that um, I look at this. So in March, I said, instead of me looking at it, why don't we have him present to our support group in Palm Desert and um, see what he has to say, and then we'll have other people around that will also get to see and hear, and, and that will help us make decisions as to whether this is good, bad, or indifferent. And he presented his information on temporomandibular joint dysfunction. And I was absolutely blown away with the information. And then he asked people in the audience to participate if they would like to feel what if they were out of alignment, if their temporal mandibular joint was out of alignment, to feel what it might feel like if it went into alignment. And he would, I don't know how he knows how to do what the vertical is, et cetera. One of the things I do know is that if we were on average, we could open our mouth by 52 millimeters. And I couldn't open my mouth that wide. And almost anyone in the audience was not able to open their mouth that wide. And that might be one of the indicators that your jaw is not functioning the way it's supposed to. So when he got to me and he put a tongue depressor in a particular way into my mouth, he said to the audience, he asked the audience before that if they noticed anything in me. And the first thing that they noticed is that I was lopsided, that one arm, one shoulder was down and the other was up, um, that I kind of walked that way. And my first thought was, oh, my God, that's kind of like Parkinson's. You know, people with Parkinson's, one shoulder is down and, and one arm is longer and they kind of walk lopsided. And so I just shrugged it off and said, you know, I, I I, all my life, my family would tell me that I walked like my dad, and my dad was, seemed always lopsided. And so then they asked if there was anything else that they noticed about me, and they said, well, she doesn't have a lot of color in her face. I thought, wow, that's interesting. How would they notice that through my makeup? But perhaps that was so. And um, pretty much that was – they said that I, I was kind of not standing really tall and straight, so he put the tongue depressor in my mouth, and I guess the first thing that I did was take a really deep breath. And all of a sudden, I was standing up straighter. And all of a sudden, I was feeling differently. And then he asked me to walk just across the room and back. And all of a sudden, they said I was walking straighter. And then he asked me if I noticed any difference. And I said, well, I don't know what it has to do with my mouth and my and my jaw, but, you know, my left knee was out when I came tonight, and I was just attributing that to stress because it was a long day, and I thought it was from my lower back, but, you know, all of a sudden, the pain in my knee is gone. And he said, that's, that's interesting. And so those were my experiences in the March meeting, and some of the other people in the audience, one man who had a tremor and also was pretty, his posture was pretty forward already, um, when they put the when he put the um, tongue depressor in his mouth, the man took the deep breath, stood up tall, walked normally instead of shuffling his feet, and his tremor started to go away as he walked. And I thought, oh my God, this is this is like incredible. So 
when the evening was over, I thought, you know, I don't know. This is still, it's almost like too good to be true. So I asked the doctor if he would consider speaking to any of our other support groups, and we happen to have 15 of them throughout Southern California. And he said, sure, he would, he would be delighted to do that. So a couple weeks later, um, we had a meeting in two and a half hours from, from the desert area, and I asked him to present there, and I called people as far away as two hours from that particular location and said, I think there's something you should see. I think there's something you need to watch and look at. And people came. And he did his presentation, and he had three people after the presentation get up that wanted to participate. And we watched little miracles happen. The first man that got up uh, has only had Parkinson's for five years, but we watched him stand taller, stand straighter, and he said that he felt that his legs had more strength in him just by putting the tongue depressor in. We not watched another woman that most of the group didn't know. She was from our West Los Angeles group. She came in with two canes. Her foot was pronated. She had been falling a lot, and she walked very slowly. And I asked if she, if we could use, if she would be one of the, um, one of the so-called guinea pigs. And she was happy to do that. So she comes up to the front, and when he put, he puts two tongue depressors in her mouth, and he said, "Could I have your canes, please?" And and she said, oh, no, I need those to walk with. And he said, well, I'll just hold them for the time being. He said, why don't you see if you can walk down the hall? And, Robert, she walked down the hall like you and I would walk. I think you and I would walk. I haven't seen you walk. And then he said, could you turn around and come back? And instead of doing that ratchety turn, she turned around. She almost pivoted, and she walked back. But her foot was no longer pronated. And she wasn't shuffling. And she looked like she just ate the canary. She was, she was smiling. And she, she, it was just amazing to see this happen. And so she says, I'm never taking these sticks out. And she sat down. And then the third person got up, another woman. And he did some testing on her, some, some neurological strength testing, if you will. And it was... I, I don't know, I keep using these words over and over, incredible, awesome, um, but it was incredible to see what happened with this woman's balance when a tongue depressor and the correct location of her jaw, or pretty correct in whatever a tongue depressor can do, what her strength in her system and her body was when the tongue depressor was in versus when it was out. And we all kind of just sat there and rubbed our foreheads because this was pretty amazing. Well, the very next day, the man went directly to the dentist's office to um, get started on whatever this was. And um, a few others said that they needed more information, et cetera. And I let it go at that. And then the following month, I went back to that meeting and I said, okay, so now tell me what you thought of last month's meeting. And here is a... It, this is something that I'm still reconciling with, but I think there's a book in here. Many of the people in that room, if they'd have had stones in, my, in their pocket, I think I would have been stoned because they really thought that I brought snake oil to them. And others thought that it was really too good to be true, and if it's too good to be true, it can't be. And then probably the other major comment was, well, you know, I went to my doctor, and my doctor said there's, nothing, there's no, no such thing like this. 
And so there was a lot of disbelief that happened. That, hmm, okay. So my job is to deliver information and then as much as I can to look for to look for information and to look for goodness. So I just continued to look at what this particular dentist was doing and then I tried to find others who were doing this work. And I found some going through the web. In July of this year, 2010, I was invited by the American Academy of Craniofacial Pain to come to their 25th year convention in Salt Lake City, Utah. And it was there, in the three days that I was there, I don't think my mouth ever closed. I was awestruck to see and to hear that this work has been going on for at least 50 years. And it had never crossed my desk. It had never, I have never seen anything about dental work or TMJD, temporal mandibular joint dysfunction, or also known as craniomandibular dysfunction. None of that ever popped across my desk. But there at that convention, I saw the results of work that such major people as Brendan Stack or Harold Gelb or Robert Talley, and now I know a few other names, um, have done throughout all of these years to create wellness and goodness and better health in people with movement disorders. I came back and I thought, wow, we have to do something. We have to get this word out to the world, out to the public, and I will do everything that I can to do that. And I did. I mean, I took, I took doctors. I found there are three of them that we know of in, in Southern California who are trained and equipped, and I'm going to say this over and over and over again. Not every dentist knows this work. These dentists that do this work are trained in doing temporomandibular joint dysfunction or craniomandibular dysfunction they are equipped, they know how to read image, imaging um, content, and they know how, what, they know neurologically what is going on. So if you just take this information and say, I took this to my dentist and my dentist had never heard about it before, and then you stop there, you'll never be able to experience the goodness that this has to bring. But if you go to the right people, and currently our little organization is working with the AACP on putting together a database of those dentists in the United States and Canada and anywhere in the world that do this work so that we can bring it out to the Parkinson's world with as much, um, with, with as close proximity to anybody as we possibly can. And then uh, and we have a symposium coming up January 15 and 16 in the Palm Springs area, Palm Springs, California, that is going to bring the scientists and the science behind this and all of those names that I mentioned to you early, earlier, Gelb, Stack, um, Tally, Feld, a few other ones, will be coming to present this information when we will have testimonials as well from people, one of whom was on this program at the end of October. Her name, her, her name was Cheryl, and we got tremendous amount of, of inquiries from Cheryl being on the radio uh, to try to find dentists in your area to help um, accomplish or to help obtain a better health and a better result for the whatever it is that you have in the way of movement disorder. 
So excitingly enough, Robert, I have this symposium to talk about, and maybe we'll talk about that next. That's okay by you. It is, but first we have a call from area code 502. Hello, you're on the air. Robert, how are you? John Bauman here, the inspiring SR. Hi, John. How are you? Doing great. I've I've been listening to the show, and I've heard this from another source, and... um, you know what Joe is talking about. Unfortunately, is is a sense of fear that people have, um, where that holds them back. Um, in in essence, on some level, that they don't want to find a cure. That they their their identity is now Parkinson's is a part of their identity, and without Parkinson's, they would lose a part of themselves. It's kind of an interesting philosophical thought. It pattern. is. Um, yeah. And. I can sense your frustration. I can feel your frustration. Um, but you know, whatever it is, whether it's power positive thinking that I'm I'm involved with, um, and that you know, the idea that that these people, the people that that had the um, had the demonstration go on uh, at the at the meetings you were at, um, may have had some effect just because they 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 thought they felt it would work. But it can't be that can't be the full explanation. And there's there's just too much that that uh too much benefit that they had. Um, yes. So I, I commend you. I commend the work you're doing. And um you. you know, you can only you can only bring a horse to water, you can't make him drink. True. The good thing is, uh John, is that we we're tracking forty one or forty two people right now, um, all across the United States and the benefits are there. So um, I can't wait until we have them, the, the information culminated so that we can present it as well. Now, I don't know if we're going to be doing that on January 15, but a tremendous amount of scientific information will come out that day. So I hope that more and more people get on that bandwagon to learn about this because there is hope. There is a breakthrough. It, to me, it's a breakthrough. And I think it is really incredible that people with Parkinson's can actually regain quality of life uh, with it through this process. But again, it's by the right people. And you kind of hit it. There's an identity thing, but there's also an attitude thing. Attitude being critical. If you believe you can be helped, you can. If you believe, I guess it's if you believe you can be helped, you're right. If you believe you can't be helped, you're right too. So it's it's really about attitude. However, what we've discovered with this that even with a bad attitude, some of the people are helped. <laughs> right. Uh, it's 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 real interesting, and um, uh, I, I hope um, the one thing that that uh, comes out when you talk about the medical industry, you could take a, a cynical view and say this: there's so many doctors and so many people invested so heavily in Parkinson's, and um, and that they might um, resist finding something as simple as what you're describing um, as as something that would provide tremendous benefits because then they wouldn't have much use anymore. But when you talk about medical industry, you have to feel comfortable with the fact that, that yeah, there's there's uh, some vested interest in, in, in the continuation of the disease, but they can always go into the next disease. I mean, they, they cured polio. And, um, yes, you know, yes. Um, you know, if we we all we know that most of the medical industry, how their training is, um, and but most of them, I think, do follow the Hippocratic Oath, and right. 
that's to do no harm. And then when we bring something that, in this particular instance, it's non-pharmaceutical, it's non-surgical, um, right. a person trying this really has nothing to lose um, except for the money that they might invest in it, which is nominal, to be sure. But then right. when we get when we take this out to the world and we look at it as a business, because everything is business and money, then right. we say, wow, there's really no money to be made in here, and maybe that's why this has been in the closet so long. Right. And so my, I, I've taken it upon myself at this point as my job to unveil this and bring it out to the world with the greatest splash that I can possibly give it so that it never gets covered up again. And then You're screaming... I need I need the Parkinson's world to work with me to help us get behind those dentists who are interested in being trained and equipped to do this work to get them involved in doing it and then just keep educating. But I'll tell you something else, John and Robert. This goes way beyond Parkinson's. This kind of help is is far transcends just the Parkinson's world. And I know this personally because seven weeks ago I started with a um, orthotic appliance, I don't know what else to call it. And I can't you know, I told you that when I first tried it my knee pain went away. Well I can tell you that a lot more than that happened. And these are going to be some of the symptoms that I got rid of that some of the people with Parkinson's that are listening have and they'll say, Oh my God, I have that. One of the first things that I noticed was that I would the doctor asked me, he said, I'll bet you he said he didn't ask, he suggested that I had a difficult time sleeping and I said Oh, no, I sleep for an hour and a half at a time quite well. <laughs> an hour and a half at a time is not a lot of sleep. And I said, and then I said, when I do, after I get up in that hour and a half, I, I get up and I'm, it's like somebody's been chasing me, so I'm kind of anxiety-ridden. And then I have to go to the bathroom. And he said, oh, okay. He said, and I'll bet you have a memory problem. And he said that very quietly, and I was glad that he did. And I said, hmm, that's very interesting. I didn't respond at the time. But I will tell you that at that particular point in my life, I really thought I was getting Alzheimer's. My memory was so bad. And some of my really wonderful good friends said, oh, you know, Joe, you lost your husband and your you know, depression is... I said, no, no, no. This is like really different. This is like I'm losing my memory and, and it's scaring me. And I don't even know where I would go if, this, if I had to go get this checked out. So my knee problem went away. In seven weeks now, and it actually went away, these things went away faster than seven weeks, but I started sleeping through the entire night. And more than that, I didn't have to get up and go to the bathroom. And I'm thinking to myself, my God, you know, I used to go and talk about the neurogenic bladder, and I knew just so much about the neurogenic bladder and Parkinson's that when the brain doesn't connect with the bladder, you have urgency or you have frequency and sometimes the bladder fills up and overflows because you don't quite feel it. And I mean, I, 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 my whole mindset was how that could happen and why it was and the things that one could do with exercise, et cetera, to help their neurogenic bladder. And today I say, God, is there such a thing as a neurogenic bladder? Because I don't have that problem anymore. I mean, and maybe I'm unique, but I don't think so. So my knee pain went away. I'm sleeping through the night. My bladder problem went away. My arm pain. I had terrible pain in my upper arms. I thought it was from using the computer so much, and also because I, I drive 350 to 500 miles a week doing support groups. I'm thinking, oh, you know, I can't be doing this anymore. I mean, you're getting old. All that pain has disappeared. It's dissipated. My carpal tunnel that I thought I had. It's gone. 
like, whoa, what is this? And how can this happen? I now know how it can happen. I'm not sure that I could describe it. I know I can't describe it, and certainly not in scientific or medical um, jargon. But the amazing thing is that when the temporomandibular joint is in alignment and the bite is corrected, it has to do with bite and the joint, then your body should be a self-healing instrument and pretty sure we can attain that even though it's been out of um, alignment for a long time. I think it can be put back in. So most of these dentists work in addition to the orthotics that they use. They also work with other professionals. In particular, they work with chiropractors who do upper cervical care or SOT work. And this is all upper cervical work. So straight, keeping that straight, when the body is straight in that area, when all of that is, is working the way it should, then your brain is actually functioning with the rest of the body. Your trigeminal nerve canal that runs between the ear and the jaw joint that needs to flow freely is unimpinged when the jaw is in alignment. And there's another major canal that runs through that area. It's called the external carotid artery. So 20 years ago, I said to the dean of neurology at UCLA, you know, it seems to me like the brain isn't getting the food and the oxygen that it needs. I mean, why would those cells be dying if they were getting fed, like, you know, if they were getting nutrition and getting oxygen? doesn't seem that they should die at that point. So maybe they're being cannibalized or something. I mean, why, what is happening to those cells? Well, here I am 20 years later, and I'm saying, wow, look at this. When the external carotid artery is impinged, when it's, when it's pressed upon, the food that needs to go to the brain and the oxygen that needs to go to the brain isn't getting there. Is that amazing? And the brain that has to function all the way through to the bottom of your feet, if that canal is pinched, then it's not functioning. And so your feet can't get the instruction to it, so you start shuffling. You, you, you're not picking up your feet. There's a lot of things you, you're not doing because the instruction from the brain isn't going to the rest of the body. One of the doctors that's coming to the, to the symposium in January has done a tremendous amount of scientific research and work on posture and postural changes and what happens to the body. I can't wait to hear his presentation just because of what I've learned since March of this year. And I'm learning this, mind you, on a layman's basis. I'm, I'm a regular person, and, um, and I just love what I do. I mean, I am impassioned to find goodness and good benefits for, especially in the Parkinson's world, because that's where I've been for 20 years. But if I can take this throughout the world, I, I'll do it. It's I'll have to I disagree with one thing. I have to disagree with one thing you said. That, that okay. you don't know that you don't know the medical jargon. I think you did pretty well with the medical jargon. <laughs> I thought the same thing, John. <laughs> so wow, talking about somebody who's very knowledgeable, and I think it's Joe Rosen. Definitely. Well, I know those words. I mean, I I I feel them, and um, but I am truly I, I'm a regular person. It sounds almost like a tourniquet effect. Where you, if you, if you put, strap a tourniquet, I used to be an emergency medical technician. If you stretch, tur- put a tourniquet on the on arm, you'll lose that limb. 
if it's left on too long, sounds like there's almost a tourniquet effect on a pinch point. Um, and that, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. Uh, well, I'm so if a little you open, if you, I'm sorry, if you open that up and you let the flow go as naturally or normally as it should, that's when you see these little miracles happen. I'm, I'm in a little bit, and I can find a doctor that does this, or a dentist that does I'm sorry, what? I'm in the Louisville, Kentucky area, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do do a search to see if I can find a doctor or dentist. Call me, that does. call me, or email me, and I will help you find them because I've been interviewing doctors too. There's certain criteria that I ask to make sure that they know what they're doing because some of the experts have said to me, it's important that the doctor know what he or she is doing so that they don't do harm. Because you know, doctors, they... go ahead. Doctors have egos too. When you go to a, a movement disorder specialist or a neurologist or a dentist or a doctor of any sort and say to them, have, have, do you know about this, and they don't know anything about it, it takes a strong, com- confident doctor to go look it up and spend the time looking into it because you know they, they don't want to look like they don't know what they're talking about. People think that mm-hmm. doctors have, have the answers at their fingertips and they know, what, know all, that they're godlike. And uh, it, it, it's gonna, it takes doctors who have the self-confidence to, to know what they don't know and spend the time looking into it. Yes, I agree with that. Um, and I think that it's our job as, as citizens to help them get there, meaning um, to let them feel comfortable and confident with themselves, not knowing an answer because they are human. And to say to them, Doc, you don't have to know the answer, but let's get there together. Or how can I help you get there? Or is there anything I could do to bring you information? Or I heard about a symposium going on that I'd really like you to attend or to hear about because I think this could help a lot of your patients. And just encourage them to do, to, to go outside their box, their comfort zone, their, their, their box. And, and to look at more opportunities that are available for the betterment of their people. I do believe that the reason that a, that a, a person went to medical school was to help other individuals. Um, not, I don't think that they went to medical school because they thought that that would be a way to make the most money. I really think that they went there because they wanted to um, create better health for people. And with that understanding, then I think it is our job not to just put them on a pedestal and think that they're godlike, but rather to help them do a better job. That's what the world works. That's how the world works. If if I help you be a better person, you'll help me be a better person. It's just it's a synergy that just happens, and we can help our medical professionals be better practitioners by by just communicating with them and encouraging them to go outside their box. Wonderful. Wonderful attitude, and I love I love the information you bring in. Sorry, Robert. It's my pleasure. It is truly my pleasure. It is, it is probably in in the twenty years that I've been doing this work, it is the nicest thing that has ever come. It, it's the best thing that has ever come my way. And as I will say, it's a gift that came to me in my twentieth year. But my gift to the world is bringing this out, and I I cannot even tell you how um, emotional I can get to think that that I was chosen to do that. It's wonderful. So we're going to get the Parkinson's community as on track as we can. We're going to um, bring dignity back to indignity. We're going to, um, for those who are unproductive because they are disabled and they're young, um, let's see if we can bring them back to productivity. 
Um, there are enough jobs out there. I mean, just this alone can bring jobs to to this country, just tremendous jobs. For instance, how does this get covered by insurance? Right now, it, perhaps it doesn't, but there's a job somebody could do, work on getting this covered by insurance. Um, how do we get this word out to all the people that need this? There's another job. Get the get the word out. I mean, there's so much work to be done in just disseminating this information that we, we've got to even move the economy just bringing this out, you know? Isn't that amazing? Wow. Now, about the symposium takes place on January 15 and 16. It is indeed, and what I'm going to do, Joe, is first of all, I want to thank John for calling in to the show. Yes, thank you, John. I I also want everybody to know that John was a uh, a guest on the show uh, last month, and so if on the radio page you literally just scroll back, you can listen to the archive of his program. John also has some incredible videos that he's put up on his website, theinspiringesquire.com. So be sure to check his show, which was aired just last month, and check into his website as well. John, thanks so much for calling into the show today. Joe, I and I say think your work thing. is terrific, too. Thanks. I want to say one thing to you. You go, girl. <laughs> right. Thank you. That's right. Thanks, John. <laughs> We have a call from area code 760, Joe. Uh, You're on the air. Hello. I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello. I can can hear. I think Robert can hear. Yes. Uh, Will the symposium be televised or radioed or taped? If you can't make it to the symposium, is there any way you're going to be able to get this information? We sincerely hope so. We're, we are um, working on getting it videoed, and, and um, on that basis, um, there should be something available. Don't have that answer today. It's evolving as we go, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And how many people do you expect to attend this symposium? We actually expect about 1,000. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank are, you. Are I you, appreciate your work. Are, are you in the area where you would be close enough to attend? I'm not going to be in the country. Ah, okay, okay. So somehow we have to make sure that you get to a place. Well, let me ask you, and you don't have to answer this, obviously. Are you affected by Parkinson's? Yes. Okay. This is incredible information. I'm happy to share it or do whatever I can to get you some information. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling in. So, Joe, right. tell people now more about the grand event on January the 15th. Well, it's a combination of things, Robert, it's because it's my 20th year, the organization's 20th year, and the symposium, so we're going to pull them all together at the same time. We have a trifecta going on. Um, first is the symposium where we have these wonderful doctors from all over the United States coming to speak to address the audience. It will start at 7.30 in the morning for registration, and um, it will be at the Esmeralda Hotel in Indian Wells, which is in the Palm Springs area. Any information on this can be found on our website at www.parkinsonsresource.org. Parkinson's is plural, resource is singular, .org. 
or um, call the office at area code 877-775-4111. The first day of the symposium ends at 4.30. And then people have an opportunity to take a break, go refresh themselves, and at 6 o'clock we have a gala that um, is actually honoring our 20th year. As a matter of fact, I've, they, they've decided to honor me, and it's called the Gold Watch. Um, would be nice that night if that, if that token comes my way. I'd love a gold watch on my 20th year. <laughs> right. Um, and then the other, so the, the trifecta is the, the symposium, which takes place, and I'll tell you about Sunday in a minute. The symposium, the gala, in a hotel where all of the major events or many of the major events in the desert area are held, which is the Renaissance Esmeralda. And then on the night of the gala, we have a magnificent person who's honoring me, an international singer-songwriter who, if anyone's around my age, remembers him extraordinarily well, and his name is Trini Lopez. And he's coming back in concert for that night um, in honor of me and the organization. And I cannot tell you what that does for my heart and my and my head. It is incredible. So then we'll we'll celebrate on the Saturday night, the 15th, and on the 16th we come back to the hotel where we have, or if you're in the hotel, on the 16th, Sunday, we have breakfast and a panel discussion of questions and answers. And we will have, I think it's two doctors that talk about the science and, and, and also we have our testimonials that I think come into play on Sunday. I'm not 100% sure as we speak about that agenda, but I think it's the testimonials that will be there, including Cheryl, um, who you heard on, on this radio program in October. And then we're going to have breakout sessions where we have other professionals that can give help and comfort as people are going through this journey. Um, and, and when I say help, it will be legal. It, we've got um, other um, non-medical products coming in, and we've got some insurance information and work that's coming in. And we even have... I, um, permanent makeup and wigs for those bad hair days in case anybody has that going on. But while these breakout sessions are going on, we each person will have an opportunity to reserve a time where they can be neurologically strength tested by the visiting doctors and can do some one-on-one -on -one discussion with those doctors. And I can tell you that we have doctors coming in from Pennsylvania, New York, um, Ontario, Canada, um, the state of Washington, from Indiana and Ohio, from Florida and Texas. So from all over the United States, we have doctors visiting. And these are the ones who should be able to help any of you that are coming from any of those locations. I can also tell you that this time of year in the Palm Springs area, it's really nice and toasty warm, especially those of you listening in the Midwest. This might be a real destination for you January 15 and 16, and it would be my pleasure to meet and to um, introduce you to what I think is one of the greatest gifts that um, could come our way. How do people register for this incredible event, and how much does it cost? Good questions. Okay, it's nominal to be sure. Um, currently, the cost is $75. And that covers both days, and it covers a box lunch on Saturday and breakfast on Sunday morning. Uh, in addition to that, the, um, the, the gala is only $225 right now. And then and there's still, if, 
And there's a discount if you buy both of them. So you can see Trini Lopez, come to the gala for a sit-down dinner, have lunch, and be educated. And you can do that right now for $275. And that price will stay there until January 5, and then they go up again. So, um, And then we have rooms that are available at the Esmeralda um, for, a specific, for a preferred rate. And if they mention Parkinson's Resource Organization, and if they call that number to make their reservation at 800 552-4386, um, they can get a discounted rate at the hotel. And I would think that most people, if they're coming out of town, would want to stay there if you can because 7.30 Saturday morning is pretty early and 8.30 Sunday morning is early as well, especially if you, um, if you uh, participate with us at the gala and the, and the Trini Lopez concert. Also, you asked how do you register? I'm so sorry, Robert. I, I think I gave my website earlier, our website earlier. Registration can be done on the website. Or again, if they call the office, we have um, people answering the phones to take that reservation as long as the person has a credit card. That was my uh, follow-up question, Joe. If uh, somebody even listening to the show right now is thinking, oh, maybe I should just go ahead and uh, – and act and uh, do a registration, can they call right now and uh, actually register for this event? They can. You probably heard the phone ringing in the background. But, and yes, better, they can. Better, they can. You better repeat the, uh, the, the uh, phone number again. Okay. The phone number is 877-775-4111. And I'm also going to suggest that you don't stand on ceremony. If for some reason the answering machine picks up, it's because the lines are busy. They're being answered. And so leave your message, leave a, a callback number, and be as, as precise as you can. But if you don't hear back in a day or so, please don't stand on ceremony. Get back in touch with us or go to the website. And um, you know, I, the first thousand is what we know we can handle. I'd love to get to 5,000. I'm not sure what I'd do with it, but I, I would absolutely love that. I'd get every city around here involved, and, and we'd make it happen. If you'd like That's to talk operate. with Joe Rosen or ask her a question, you can call toll-free, and that number is 877-590-0733. Or if you live yep. in another country, oh, you I'm can uh, call in through your computer using Skype and be able to ask her a question live right now. I'm so sorry, Robert. I thought you were giving our phone number, and I, I, I apologize. No, that's the uh, number for the radio show, yes. so people yes. can yes. call yes. in toll-free uh, for the radio show. I'm curious about the what you described to be the tongue depressure. Is this something that, uh, for instance, doctors use when they're trying to get back to look at the back of your throat, just a wooden kind of a... A instrument. Yes. Yes. So, so it's a very simple kind of a thing. And that, now, can a person put put depress their tongue and themselves and be able to? It's not tell a matter of depressing the any? tongue. It's not a matter of depressing the tongue. It's a matter of um, it. It has to do with the bite and and the jaw. So they don't. It's not just. It is my understanding that when the dentist puts this into the mouth, they are, they are understanding where the lopsidedness, if you will, of the, of the jaw is taking place. 
For instance, one of these dentists at a, in one of our support group meetings, I saw him put a total of five tongue depressors in a gentleman's mouth, and the gentleman had a really major tremor, and the tremor completely stopped at that point. So it has to. It's not just putting the the tongue depressor in the mouth. It's a matter of knowing where to put it or why to put it. But some of the dentists even use um, cotton swabs or co- you know those cotton rolls um, as the as the tool to um, when they're working with the bite and 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 the jaw alignment on a temporary basis like that. So the tongue depressor is what I've seen used most often, but I've also seen in some of the videos where some of the dentists have used the cotton um, rolls. When they actually did this with you, then they put the tongue depressor in, and then you bite down on it, and so you part correct. of it's sticking out your mouth, and then you start to walk. Is that the way it works? That is that is correct. We have a call of. From area code three six zero, you are on the air. Yes, this is Dave. Um, Hi, Dave. I'm thinking, as you're talking um, about the people that in the dentist, are there other people that get involved with this type of procedure, or is it strictly is it strictly uh, limited to the people that are in the dentistry? I'm not sure that I have an absolute answer to that, Dave, but I think that dentists are allowed ethically and legally and whatever other way to work in the oral cavity, but that medical doctors can work outside of that. Again, I'm not the person to ask this, but that's one of the things that I've heard. So it would primarily be dentists that are doing this. Maybe it's only dentists. Don't know the answer to that. Uh, well, what brought the question about in my mind was that I've been taking Bowen therapy for quite some time, and the therapist that that gives me the massage or the therapy, some time ago she mentioned that my jaw was not aligned, and she recommended that I take the type of retainer to use every night to get my both sides of my jaw back sort of in alignment. I mean, that's kind of the idea. And I know it helps for relief to do those kind of things, and I'm just wondering, there's, there, you know, there's other procedures that are connected with what you're doing or... Well, I'm going to suggest that this is a structural change, but that it comes about through the process of that device that you're talking about or that appliance, but that the person who you would be wanting to go to is someone who understands what that structural change, what what is required, what is needed, and when does your jaw actually rehabilitate itself. It is my understanding that the cartilage within the jaw, which is one of two cartilages in the body that is that is a rehabilitative carpet, cartridge, or cartilage rather, so sorry, there are only two cartilages in the body that can rehabilitate themselves. One is the condyle within the, the temporal mandibular joint. On that basis, if it has been out of joint for some time, 
it will take a structural change in order for plus a growth time in order to rehabilitate itself to come back to its healthy state and upon the healthiness of that condyle and the restructure of the bite and the jaw is when probably more than likely the optimum health is experienced well I would have to hear that again before I can even get the conception of what you were talking about <laughs> that's it's better if you can see it, and I and I was trying to bring it about in words, but um, if you could see the in a presentation how how the cartilage in the jaw sits there and what it has to do in order to be in order for the jaw to be in alignment. I no. I just don't know that I'm articulate enough to explain that to you. It's much better and no, much easier me. if you see it. It's me that's the problem. I mean, it's my availability of information to be able to put together what you're saying. But the, one of the other things I was wondering, thinking about as you're t- talking, uh, these approaches that you're talking about, they're so they have been so far from the medical realm of understanding that the regular medical professional profession has a hard time accepting these notions that you're talking this notion that you're talking about even though it shows results and i'm just wondering and how you how much you work to bridge that gap you seem to be an ideal person to bridge that gap well, I'd very much like to be that person. I think that the first thing is is that the medical profession isn't the one really that has to accept this as much as the person who has the um, the the ailment or the illness. Um, if that person is has an open mind and an open heart and wants to feel better and do better, uh, there in this particular instance, there's really nothing to lose here to try this. It, it may cost a little bit of money, but other than that, there's nothing. There, I, I, there's nothing to lose. If you go to the person who understands, if you go to the dentist who is trained and equipped to do this, and you and and you're comfortable and confident with that relationship, all you have to do is wait for the health to come to you. And and if your medical doctor doesn't accept it, then maybe it's time to find a new medical doctor. But other than that, I would say that once this does work then it is our business and it probably is our purpose to get the medical doctors to under, to see this and to open their minds and to accept it as an application for betterment and better health of their of their patients. Oh, it ran across my mind earlier that for your symposium or any information that you're get or dispersing, it would be good to concentrate on bringing as many Parkinson people with the, with the actual disease into the picture as compared to, so they would be the spokesman for the medical profession. And I, I think if I understood what you're saying, the answer is absolutely correct, Dave, so I hope you're coming to the symposium. Well, I'm thinking about it now after listening to you. 
the, uh, the last thing I wanted to mention was that there's a World Parkinson Conference in Montreal in 2013, and I'm wondering if your mindset on trying to be one of the speakers at that conference. What a nice compliment, Dave. What a fabulous compliment. Um, I don't know. We were partners in the world in the world conference um, that just took place in what Switzerland, wherever it was. Oh, I didn't well. get. I didn't go because I decided to use my priorities as bringing this information to the world. Um, but it's a very nice compliment that you just gave me as to being a speaker. Um, in 2013, take, I, I'm, a, I'm an old woman already, so we'll see what happens by 2013. Well, you can take 500 Parkinson people with you for support. <laughs> that's, even, that's even better. Very cute, very adorable. I'll let you go. Thank you very much. It's been Thank you, Dave. I hope you come to the symposium, and if you do, remind me that you were on the radio. Okay, I will. Bye-bye. Thanks, so, thanks Bye. so much for calling in, Dave. I'd like to ask you, Joe, to reflect back on your 20 years of work and intensive research with regard to what makes a difference for individuals who currently are experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's. What are your lessons? What have you learned over these 20 years, other than, of course, the incredible discovery just over the last year? Well, I've learned that it's not a single person's disease, that it really affects an entire family, if there is a family. Um, I've learned that it um, it requires, um, what did Hillary Clinton say? It, it, it takes a village. I've learned that it really does to get through the journey of it. I've learned that the caregiver needs to be helped as much or more than the person with Parkinson's because at the end of the day, as they would say these days, at the end of the day, it is the person, it is the caregiver that needs to be well and needs to be strong and needs to be there when the person with Parkinson's can't. And so I've learned that. That was probably one of my first lessons. The caregivers must take care of themselves and they must always rejuvenate and replenish and know that they have a major chore in front of them. And it is up to the person with Parkinson's to treat that caregiver with as much love and respect as they possibly can. These opportunities sometimes come very few and far between when the person with Parkinson's is extraordinarily frustrated by their new abilities or lack of abilities. It also becomes very frustrating to the caregiver when he or she is used to this person. They have a history with this person of being able to be um, a go-getter, to being very vital, to being very um, intelligent and, and being able to express that intelligence in a rapid way. And when that doesn't happen anymore, it's extraordinarily frustrating to the caregiver. But then when we, got, when we talked about my Alzheimer's that I thought was coming on that isn't Alzheimer's at all, but now is, is my memory problem has been, uh, I don't have a memory problem, but that's been fixed with my getting my bite and my jaw back in place. Um, but there are dementias and memory problems that would otherwise come with Parkinson's. I actually right now think that they can be averted, but 
if they are there, that too becomes a tr- just a tremendous frustration for the caregiver. And so it's the, my biggest lesson is that nobody is in this alone, and it's important to reach out, and it's important to stay educated. It's important to stay spiritual, to know where your spirituality is. And I didn't use the word religion specific, because I didn't, it's not religious. This is about spirituality. This is about belief. This is about really good attitude. This is about going forward and not, it's not about us. It's about helping everybody around us. And when we go out with purpose on that basis, we can, we can really do anything we want. When this came to me, it was a matter of my opening my heart and my mind, and I'm so glad that I did because I know that I am helping and we are helping just a tremendous number of people. And that was my quest 20 years ago. It is still my quest today, and I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity. If you'd like to be able to ask Joe Rosen a question or talk with her, you can call toll-free. That number is 877-590-0733, or you can connect through your computer on the radio show page using Skype. Some of the people who will be listening to the show and who probably are listening currently have just been diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's disease. What would you want to say to them now, Joe? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to take only a few minutes to do this, Robert, because I think we've been talking about an hour. <laughs> I have to get into Los Angeles tonight from here, and my ride is waiting. So. Having said that, if someone is newly diagnosed, I would the first thing I would say to them is there's there's hope, there are breakthroughs, there's information, and before this is actually what I would say if it was me one on one, I think before I would start taking medication, I would examine what you and I just talked about today first to see if any of the um, symptoms that you are experiencing could actually be alleviated through this process. The other thing that I didn't say as I was talking about the things that left me is I used to, when I went to bed at night, my legs would start trembling and start, um, and they would feel um, tingly and weak. And I don't have that anymore either. Now, I, I would guess that if I went to get this diagnosed um, by someone who does diagnosis of that kind of thing, that I might have come up with an answer of something I didn't like or didn't want. But the fact that my legs don't tingle and they're not trembling at nighttime when I go to bed and, and they're not weak um, is indicative of me, to me that the, the work that I'm doing in getting my bite and my jaw um, aligned or realigned is taking away symptoms that would otherwise scare the heck out of me. So if you just got the diagnosis and you have a question or you would like to see if there's another way, then let's find out if there is a dental practitioner in your area, a dental professional in your area that is trained and equipped to do this work. And let's get you there first to see if you're a candidate to get your bite and your jaw aligned or realigned before we just jump on the bandwagon to say you have Parkinson's or I have Parkinson's. That's what I would say if you were my brother, my sister, my mother, my father. 
I would ask you to look at every other avenue. One more time, Joe Rosen. How does an individual register for the Ultimate Quality of Life Symposium, which will be convening on January the 15th? Um, I think your best way to do that is to go online to www.parkinsonsresource, that's P-A-R-K-I-N-S-O-N-S-R-E-S-O-U-R-C-E dot O-R-G, and go to the Ultimate Quality of Life Symposium and register there. You can register as an individual or register as a group. And you can also sign up for the gala there, the 20th year celebration. And what's brand new to us is the honoring that, that Trini Lopez, this international singer-songwriter, is giving to us. And that's brand new, and it's not on the site yet. But that will be part of the gala. And the other way to register is to call us at the 877-775-4111 telephone number and register with whomever answers the phone. Have your credit card handy. And um, the cost is nominal at this point. I mean, for $275 right now, you can be entertained for an entire weekend. And I gave you the phone number for the, Esmer the Renaissance Esmeralda to get the um, discounted rate, which is 800 552-4386. That information is on the website as well. And um, I would love to see as many of you there as possible. And as Dave said, you know, if the more that the people with Parkinson's come to learn this and take this back to the medical profession, the faster we'll get this information into the hands of others who can help. Joe Rosen, thank you so much for being our very special guest on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio program today. I so applaud your work, Robert. Thank you for, for everything that you do, for helping us get these good words out there, for, for finding the guests that you have that, that have such impact on this world. Uh, I hope that we can um, get it a gone world, meaning I'd, I'd love to get Parkinson's just obliterated, and until that time, let's just keep working like we're working. It's a deal. <laughs> Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you. We have been publishing the Parkinson's Recovery magazine every month now for two months, and the December issue will be released just next week. If you'd like to be able to get your copy of the October or the November issue of the Parkinson's Recovery magazine, you can actually grab a copy by going to the main website, and that's parkinsonsrecovery.com. And then up at the top, you'll see there's a menu item that says resources. You just click on that, and you'll see on the resources page, there's obviously a cover of the Parkinson's Recovery magazine. Yeah, click that, and you'll come to the page where you've got the downloads of the two magazines for October and for November. The December magazine will be out just next week. If you'd like a notice of that, be sure to sign up uh, for the Parkinson's Recovery newsletters, which I send out on a regular basis, and I'll be announcing the release and publication of the December issue uh, in just a few days. It's an exciting issue with incredible articles by individuals who've got awesome wisdom to actually convey. So that's what's happening on the shores 
of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today. Have a marvelous week, and we'll see you next week, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, for our incredible show to be aired one week from today. Goodbye.